the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Good for a Weekend, the podcast where two friends talk about Taylor Swift. I'm Cressy. And I'm Allie. And today we are going to break down Folklore, the episode you have all been waiting for. <laughs> are, are you guys still in shock? Because I know I am. Are you okay, <laughs> Allie? Because I'm not. I just think about our emergency episode from last week and everything we got wrong, but like we had no way of anticipating. We did have some things right, and well, there was no banjo solo in Mad Woman, which but it does have very big safe and sound vibes. It does say that. I think I deserve props for that. And you said, "Is this red part two? And a lot of people are comparing it to red. So it's true. I think lyrically and musically and vocally, this album is better than Red. No one come after me. I know Red has a lot of very, very passionate fans, but I just think this album blows it out of the water, if I'm being honest. It's just more mature. Yeah, but since we are going to break down every single song in this album with our reactions and how we think it gets all tied together into the story that she wove, let's just start with what she said about the album. Yeah. So... Here we go. Taylor said, quote, it started with imagery, visuals that popped into my mind and piqued my curiosity. Stars drawn around scars, a cardigan that still bears the scent of loss 20 years later, battleships sinking into the ocean down, 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 the tree swing in the woods of my childhood, hushed tones of let's run away and never doing it, the sun-drenched month of August, sipped away like a bottle of wine, a mirrored disco ball hovering above a dance floor, a whiskey bottle beckoning, hands held through plastic, a single thread that, for better or for worse, ties you to your fate. Pretty soon, these images in my head grew faces or names and became characters. I found myself not only writing my own stories, but also writing about or from the perspective of people I've never met, people I've known, or those I wish I hadn't. An exiled man walking the bluffs of a land that isn't his own, wondering how it all went so terribly, terribly wrong. An embittered tormentor showing up at the funeral of his fallen object of obsession. A 17-year-old standing on a porch learning to apologize. Love-struck kids wandering up and down the Evergreen Highline. My grandfather, Dean, landing at Guadalcanal in 1942. A misfit widow getting gleeful revenge on the town that cast her out. Yes. Yeah, I love love that. Um, A tale that becomes folklore is one that is passed down and whispered around, sometimes even sung about. The lines between fantasy and reality blur and the boundaries between truth and fiction become almost indiscernible. Speculation over time becomes fact, myths, ghost stories, and fables, fairy tales and parables, gossip and legend, someone's secrets written in the sky for all to behold. 
In isolation, my imagination has run wild and this album is the result, a collection of songs and stories that flowed like a stream of consciousness. Picking up a pen was my way of escaping into fantasy, history, and memory. I've told these stories to the best of my ability with all the love, wonder, and whimsy they deserve. Now it's up to you to pass them down. Taylor. End quote. So sweet. (laughs) I know. And it's so fun reading that now, knowing like the lyrics by heart already. Like yeah, she so yeah. many references back to the lyrics. Um, but one of the biggest things, obviously, is the love triangle. That's what everyone's been talking about. Yeah. Which song is what from what perspective? So that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about later, but also just our reactions. What songs do we love? Yeah. What songs do we not love? Which is like none of them. But <laughs> <laughs> Very short. A very short list. I don't even think I can say I don't like any of them. Like I really do. I have, I have two that I'm not in love with, but I still like them and I don't skip them. You know, I still okay. listen to them. I'm curious because I know one of them, but I don't know the other, so this will be fun. But yeah, so Cressy, want to tell us a little bit more about the album? So we know that this album was written by three other people, including Taylor Swift. So Aaron Dessner, he is best known as being a member of the band The National, and he is also co-founder of the band Big Red Machine with Justin Vernon, a.k.a. Bonnevere. Then we have Jack Antonoff, which if you're a Taylor Saint, you should know who Jack <laughs> Antonoff is. But, you know, I'll go into yeah. it <laughs> to humor everyone. Yes. But he he is known for being the lead singer in the band called The Bleachers. But he is definitely way more well-known for what he has done in the music industry. So he yes. is a producer, a singer-songwriter, the whole package, and he's worked with Taylor several times over the years. He even won a Grammy for his work in 1989. He also co-wrote and produced Melodrama by Lord. Great that album. Sink in. Yeah. He just has no L's. This guy know. knows what he's doing. So yeah. he is one of them. And then we also have William Bowery. The big mystery. So some people think... This could be Joe Allman. Mm-hmm. Some people think this could be Harry Styles. Oh, what? I had not heard that. So I'm not really sure what side I fall under, but I do want to point one thing out. Yes. William Bowery. What's a nickname for William? Bill. Harry. Harry? I, was, I just don't understand how it could be Harry Styles. So I was just okay. I was gasping for straws. You really were. Okay, continuing. <laughs> Bowery, which could be shortened to Bo. Bill Bo. Bilbo Baggins, the Lord of the Rings. What? <laughs> I was like, there's no way she's about to bring up the Lord of the Rings, but you know what? You sure you did. did. You sure did. And um, that's a British thing, so... Harry and Joe are both British. I, I don't know what you want to do with that information. Make yeah. of that what you will. But that is, for whatever reason, my nerdy little mind was like, hmm, how can I connect this to <laughs> Tolkien? And that's how I did. Oh, my God. Well, they say that William was Joe Alwyn's, like, grandfather's name who worked in music somehow. And then yes, Bowery. He was a composer. Yeah. He was a very famous yeah. composer who worked on many plays and movies. And mm-hmm. he was really famous. And I actually had a section of this in our Joe episode. But it turned into an episode about him. 
So I was just like, you know what? We're not even going to mention the grandpa. We're not going to talk about it. We're just not So I didn't bring him up. But yeah, I I know, I know a little bit about this William guy. He is a, he's a very famous composer. He has his own Wikipedia page. It's, It's quite long. Interesting. By the way, listeners, we have a Joe episode locked and loaded for you. It's a little out of date at this point, but we'll, you oh. know, we'll update it a little bit. <laughs> Wait, we need to see what today is. Today is July 27th, 6 p.m. So many things are happening so quickly. I feel like we needed to say what time it is so people don't think we're leaving things out because an yeah. article that I'm going to quote throughout this, that interview happened this morning. So Wow. Well, there yeah, we go. Things are happening so fast. The funniest thing, Cressy sent me this earlier, but it was really hysterical. A Taylor Stan Twitter account tweeted about how she was going camping without service oh my God, for two this weeks. Poor girl. <laughs> oh my God. I died. And she said, um, if Taylor does anything big, blow up my DMs. <laughs> like, how many DMs? And like do you think three she has? days later. Taylor releases an album. This poor girl, she is camping for two weeks, no phone, no Wi-Fi, and she's going to come back to civilization. I think I would be, like, feeling like I was punked. And the worst part, like you said, she's camping, no less, the perfect time to listen to folklore. She's in the woods, I'm assuming. (laughs) This is the perfect nature album. (laughs) Album. And just a few days off. Just a few that girl is going to be, like, so happy and so incredibly angry. I think I'd be more angry than happy, honestly, if I came back to that news. And just how wonderful that in between time, when Taylor announces this and then when the album comes out, that middle part is so fun. Yeah. It's so fun. Oh, my God. And everyone bought so many different vinyls, not vinyls. I said vinyls in our we forgive you. We were, it was episode. eight in the morning and we were not okay. I was recovering from Benadryl the night before. <laughs> and I said vinyls. Um, but okay. everyone was buying so many vinyls. Oh my God. What if she doesn't get any of the merchandise? Because all of it is so um, like short lived, you know, like everything has a time limit. It'll right come now. back. Okay. It always well, does. They just was, say that, but it always comes back. I was a sucker. I bought a vinyl, a CD, and a sweatshirt. I have no record player and no CD player. (laughs) I'm waiting to buy the cardigan because I want the fans who have bought it for it to come in so they can post Uh about what size they got so I know what size to get. So I'm waiting. Okay, good. That's valid. That's valid. Um, Just ask Spencer Pratt what size cardigan he got. I did DM him asking him to be on the (laughs) podcast. No response yet, but I won't give up. So before we break down this album song by song i do want to talk about a youtube comment taylor left in her live chat before this came out that's this poor girl missed that too that part was so fun poor girl so taylor says quote there's a collection of three songs i refer to as the teenage love triangle these three songs explore a love triangle from all three people's perspectives at different times in their lives end quote so just remember that but let's start with the one. Obviously, the yeah. one is an absolute banger. Like, everyone that you ask, I'm pretty sure it was number one on the charts, and now it's Cardigan. Everyone that you ask, they love the one. It's just so cute. A fantastic way to start the album. And I love it, too. Um, but I personally believe this is in the love triangle. Okay, so I call the three people, Betty, James, and Inez. We don't know if the, like, third woman is Inez or not, but just for the sake of I this. I don't think it is. Well, 
I wrote Inez through all my notes, so I'm going to call her Inez because I have no okay, idea I'm going to refer to her as Girl 2. Okay, so listeners, Girl 2 and Inez, same person. So I think the one is from Inez' point of view. I think this is probably the most obvious one because she's singing, but it would have been fun if you would have been the one. You know, it just sets the entire scene. And I think that this is later in her life because it says, like, I'm sorry to dig up this grave another time. So I think this is very obviously the girl who didn't end up with the guy, and I call her Inez, but she's woman number two. Cressy, what do you think? Counter. We don't know James ended up with Betty. We don't know if Betty accepted the apology. No. Okay, so me and Cressy are going to have differing views on how we interpret this album. (laughs) Oh, I completely disagree with your entire analysis, and I'm so excited to go into it. I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah, so we didn't talk about our viewpoints of this album before this episode for this exact purpose. We want to have a discussion and we want to have epiphanies, aka track number 13. Well, you're going to have a difficult time arguing with this one, okay? I just want you to get that in your mind so you're ready to accept this. No, I'm I'm not ready, but you can go ahead. The co-writer of this song, Aaron Dessner, has said that this song is written from one of Taylor's friends' perspectives. Selena Gomez? Yep. (laughs) I totally think it's Selena and Justin. (laughs) It's going to take a lot of convincing to convince me that my notes are wrong. (laughs) I don't care what Aaron Dessner's. And that's okay, because what I love about this album is that you can interpret it any way that you want, because it's folklore. That's what folklore is. And just for example, some people think James is a woman and that this love triangle is between three women because James is named after Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds' daughter. James is a woman. Well, she's a little girl right now, but she'll she'll be a woman (laughs) one day. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But I, I mean, I love that it's a name like that so you can decide whatever you want. Yeah, no, I love, yeah, everyone can interpret it differently. Yeah. It yeah. can fit whatever you're going through, you know? I, it's just very accessible. I love it. Okay, I love it too. I digress. Let's continue. So I wanted to bring up the line, you know, the greatest films of all time were never made in the first verse. Do we know any films that were never made? No, but I have an argument for why this is Inez's point of view. <laughs> Or I don't even know if it's Inez. No, it's Inez. And it's because in um, one of the later songs, I have it. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Give me one second. I'm going to find it. Um, Roaring 20s, Tossing Pennies in the Pool. They were 17, Allie. I don't care. It could be based in the 20s. She said that it was like history. Anyways. Okay. In one of the songs that I believe is from the boy's point of view, he says, like, when he left Betty, I'm going to get into my theory later, um, he kept having flashbacks from, like, a film. So when I think that this is the second woman, Inez, by saying the best movies were never made because they never, like, really were even a thing because it was just kind of an affair. It was a summer fling. So the movie was never made because he was never really hers. He was always Betty's. We don't know that James ended up with Betty, though. If I were Betty, I would not have taken James back. I think, and this is getting a little ahead of myself, and I'll explain this later, I think Betty and James 
broke up or ended because he saw her dancing with another boy when her favorite song came on and he hated crowds so he wasn't there and then so they broke up and that's the whole exile shenanigans and then so james has this really big summer fling with inez (laughs) and then when he says this is me trying he's trying to get betty back but like while he's trying to get her back he doesn't she doesn't quite take him back yet so he's still kind of leading inez on and that's when inez realizes it's just an illicit affair but i'll get into the lyrics later that explain this but then once betty happens and um mad woman happens that's when like james is back with betty and inez is mad she's a scorned woman but we'll get into that later. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. Okay. So that was a little preview. Anyway, back to me. <laughs> so, Roaring Twenties, Tossing Pennies in the Pool. I just wanted to point out that this reminds me of the song, This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. The yeah. parties were so Gatsby. And then that. another Taylor song that this reminded me of is in the second verse when she says, We never painted by the numbers, baby, but we were making it count. So it goes. But baby, who's counting? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> silence and then it cuts cuts back in what a song what a song and then i wanted to talk about the line you know the greatest loves of all time are over now so let's talk about some of the greatest loves that are over now first thing that came into my mind just because miley has written so many songs about liam it's miley and liam that is sad i love them together i thought bradgelina yeah (laughs) i've got that on the list oh really? Uh, adele and her husband true True. Jennifer Garner and Ben Affleck, Bradgelina, Katie Holmes and Tom Cruise. Remember Tom Cruise went on Oprah, jumped on the couch and professed his love to her? That was a whole thing. That was a whole thing, but I think their relationship was fake the whole time, but I won't get into that. I think, well, let's not get into that. Anna Ferris and Chris Pratt. That one hurt. Will Arnett and Amy Poehler. Mm -hmm. That hurt. And Richard Burton and Liz Taylor. Burton to my Taylor. Okay. End game. So now that we can see how this episode is already going to go, because turns out me and Cressy have completely different ideas. Boy, this is, oh boy. Okay. Cardigan, you can start with your interpretation on this one. Thank you. <laughs> so Cardigan it wasn't my favorite at first, and I think that's because of the music video. That was the first song I heard from the album, and whenever I was watching the music video, I was thinking, this is going to be my favorite song from the album. Like, I, I already know. Yeah. And then I listened to the album, and I was like, August is my favorite song, because mm-hmm. it's 8 out of 16 tracks, and my birthday is 8-16, so that's important. But you then did say those after- exact words. I sure did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then- after more listening, I just, I love this song. It makes me feel like a ballerina, a contemporary ballerina just dancing around. And I literally watched Peter Pan because of this song, because of like <laughs> Peter losing Wendy. I was like, do you know, I'm going to get Disney plus and watch Peter Pan. Side note, if you're going to watch that, just going to give you guys a heads up. I forgot about this. It's incredibly racist. Oh, yeah. It's very racist. I remember yeah. there being, like, a plot line with Indians, but no, they, like, call them savages. It's it's uh. very racist. But just just wanted to point that out in, in case anyone watches Peter Pan because of the song. Because it, it shocked me. It took me out of the movie because I wasn't prepared yeah. for it. So be prepared for that. So Aaron also talked about this album. 
He said it was the first song they wrote together, actually, and that it was originally called Maple. Hmm. They wrote this in early May, and he sent her the music file of this song, and by 2 a.m. it was done. Oh, right? my and this God. Like a, a good song, too. Like, and this was the first one they ever did done over email, you know? It's just incredible. Yeah. The piano is incredible. I love the tune to it. So throughout this album interpretation, I'm going to bring up other Taylor songs that the song either reminds me of or I think they're related somehow. And something that I noticed about Cardigan has made me feel like it's the more mature version of I Knew You Were Trouble. Like it's like being grown up and looking back at this. Okay. Obviously, they can't be in the same universe. You know, this is just me talking. Yeah. But there are 12 I knews in this song. I counted them all. Wow. You did your homework. There are 12 I knews. So I just want to point that out. It just feels like it's like the more mature version of I Knew You Were Trouble because this song is kind of like that. So now are you ready to hear my interpretation? Because this song, 110% is a Betty point of view song. And I will tell you why. Okay, so I want to point out the line. And when I felt like I was an old cardigan under someone's bed, you put me on and said I was your favorite. This is a jump ahead to the ending where James comes back to Betty afterwards. Because, like, if you're with someone and then they leave you and they're having a summer fling with someone else, you kind of feel like an old cardigan. You feel like something that used to be someone's favorite and then they just kind of discarded you. And then she's saying, I felt like that. And then he put me back on and said I was his favorite. She, Betty, was his favorite over Inez. But another reason that I want to say that I think this, because I think this is a good argument for why the first song is from Inez's point of view, the second girl's point of view, is because of the line, chase two girls, lose the one. And I know that he left her before the whole Inez affair because... I knew you'd miss me once the thrill expired is alluding to August and seven. Cause they kind of talk about how, it, you know, it was very romantic and everything like that. And later on in mad woman, she says that they only had the thrill, like the first 100 times. So I think this is alluding to the fact that the thrill with Inez expired before he went back to Betty. And then she even says, I knew you'd come back to me. He came back to Betty. He left Betty was with Inez and then came back to Betty. That's the story. Ugh. Okay, now we can no, talk I, about. I agree with you. you okay, good. I, I'm okay, on good. your side, Allie. Okay, Whew. I'm very passionate about this album. I, I have color coding. Oh, yeah, this is my favorite song. Let's go oh, into these lyrics. Let's okay. get into it. Yes. I want to start with the second line in the first verse. Okay. High heels on cobblestones. So this is the second line in the song. We are, have you ever worn high heels and walked on cobblestones? It's pretty <laughs> damn hard. So we already know from the beginning of this song that this is a rocky relationship. And I just love that she starts it like that. I would like to say that in a later song, I believe it's Betty from what I believe is the guy's point of view. He says that when they broke up, he was walking on broken cobblestones. Broken cobblestones. That's even rockier. Oh boy. Yeah. Just like a personal favorite line is... I knew you, hand under my sweatshirt, baby kiss it better. Okay, Taylor, I see you. That's a very spicy line. Um, And then Peter losing Wendy. Isn't the music video very Neverland vibes? Yeah, and she's in the nightgown, and there's like a 
desk coming out and she's going into this thing that looks magical, but it's not what she thought. I mean, that's, that's, that's the plot of Peter Pan. I know that because I watched it. (laughs) He wants to go home. (laughs) I also want to talk about the first line in the second verse. A friend to all is a friend to none. What a line. Could totally be a line in any song in Reputation. Oh, 110%. Yeah. Ooh, I also wanted to talk about the first two lines in the third verse. Okay. But I knew you'd linger like a tattoo kiss. I knew you'd haunt all my what ifs. You kind of touched on this. This one kind of brought me back again to I knew you were trouble because of the tattoos Mm -hmm. in the music video, Mm -hmm. right? That's very valid. Yeah. Just a nice little uh, parallelism in her songs. It's, It's fun to think about these things, you know, like this. In my mind, it could be the mature version of that song and i also think that it's from betty's point of view and it can be whatever you want all right number three so i think that this is a song that definitely diverts from the love triangle i think that this is a fun song about the house she moved into i believe it's her house in rhode island because the woman that owned it before i believe would be rebecca i think i saw that online somewhere correct and she named the house holiday house and then at the end of the song taylor talks about how she moved into this house um i do want to say my favorite line just because i have to say this right off the bat it was my first reaction to this song was there goes the loudest woman this town has ever seen I love that line personally because I've always been called a loud person. (laughs) So when she said that, I heard her. I heard her. So the song, just because it talks about how it was named Holiday House and then Taylor moved in, made me think a lot of her 4th of July parties and how Mm -hmm. she continued the tradition of the Holiday House. I'm like, maybe that's why she had such big parties there. So in the interview with Aaron that I've been referring to throughout this, he says, quote, she told me the story behind it which sort of recounts the narrative of Rebecca Harkness, whom people actually called Betty. She was oh. Allie's, Allie just- Oh my God, it's about Something Betty. changed in her. Something every, just changed. Every song is about yeah. Betty, Inez, and James. Oh my God, okay, I love it. I didn't know she was called Betty. All and right. this is why I don't think Betty and James end up together because oh, Rebecca's with Bill. I'll prove you wrong. I'll prove you wrong, she, but continue. Oh. Continue. It's in the lyrics, Allison. Oh, man. Oh, it is in the lyrics that Betty and James are together, and I will prove it to you. I think they definitely were at some time, and they totally could have been back together, but at, in this song, she's married to Bill. So. I don't know. Okay. We'll I'm going to finish. We'll I'm going to keep reading my quote. <laughs> she was married to the heir of Standard Oil Fortune, the Harkness family. And they bought this house in Rhode Island up on a cliff. It's kind of the story of this woman and the outrageous party she threw. She was infamous for not fitting in entirely in society. That story at the end becomes personal. Eventually, Taylor bought that house. I think that it's symptomatic of folklore, this type of narrative song. We didn't do very much to that either. End quote. So he's saying there that he didn't add a lot of his own lyrics to this. Like okay. he basically, you know, like. He didn't edit a lot because they worked on songs together, but he's saying that she brought these lyrics and it worked, you know? Mm-hmm. Do we have any more thoughts on the last great American dynasty? I just want to talk about the ending before we go. Go ahead. Yeah. So I really like when Taylor brings up that she bought it with the line mm-hmm. and then it was bought by me. Mm-hmm. And then the chorus flips and it's 
the exact same chorus but flipped with first person pronouns who knows if i never showed up what could have been there goes the loudest woman blah 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 i had a marvelous time ruining everything i just love that because it's yeah. been in the news that her neighbors in Rhode Island are apparently annoyed by her. Like she did something to a fence and that pissed them off. And oh, they really? don't like all of like the bodyguards and the people that show up. But I just think they need to chill out because yeah. they're maybe four times a year. I mean, <laughs> she has like six houses, I think. And Taylor Swift is their neighbor. That's still pretty cool. They definitely brag about that at other points, most likely, yeah. I would guess. At a dinner but party. I just, think it's, I just think it's funny that she kind of takes over the legacy of Rebecca Harkness. And Love I think this it. is also just a great song that fits in the theme of folklore, too. You know? Yeah. I think this is a beautiful song. Yeah. And now we went from, like, probably the happiest song to probably the saddest song in the whole album. Exile, featuring Bon Iver. So for the fourth song, Exile, Aaron said that she sent this to him, singing both the male and the female parts. Wouldn't you love to hear that? Oh my god, yes. Yeah. She's already gone so alto in this whole album, and a little bit of soprano too. So, I mean, I feel like we've been hearing her range all over, but it would have been really fun to hear her sing the boy part. And whenever it came to him, it was just written by Taylor and this William Bowery guy. Interesting. Um, So I have a lot of thoughts on this song, especially regarding Betty and James. I think that the one counter argument that I would even say to myself would be the fact that they say that when they broke up, Betty or the girl in the song, who is most definitely Betty, listeners, um, left him out in the hall, which is a very adult thing, not really a teenage thing. But I'm going to tell you why I think Wait, this is... What I, my first thought was high school hall. Oh. Like the hallway. Oh my God. Like lockers. Okay. That's how I heard it. But I, I do, wow. I can hear it as being like the Harry Styles song, Meet Me in the Hallway. Yeah. Okay. So maybe William Bowery is Harry Styles. That no. would be interesting. Um... But the reason I really do think, so that's even like kind of strengthening my thoughts on Betty and James. Obviously, I think this is a pretty obvious song about Betty and James, but I think this is when they broke up before the summer where James had his summer fling with Inez. Um, But the reason that this definitely makes me feel this way is because they mention, I can see you standing, honey, with his arms around your body. So in the song, Betty, later, he talks about, like I've already mentioned, how he knew it all went wrong when she was dancing with another boy because he left her alone when her favorite song came on. So it's like very obvious about Betty and James. So I guess, yeah, the hallway could definitely be the school hallway. But also by saying the hallway, I think adults can relate to it about Mm -hmm. like kicking someone out of your apartment. I do want to say that I, the lyric that really made me have the biggest reaction when I first heard of this I can see you staring, honey, like he's just your understudy, like you'd get your knuckles bloody for me. The way that lyric hits, I I just loved it. But, um, okay, so I do want to mention something. So a lot of people on the internet, I don't know if you've seen, I know Cressy's seen, but listeners, I don't know if everyone's <laughs> seen, um, have been saying how this is, like, might be a breakup album about Taylor and Joe. I 110% oh, yeah, disagree. I'm going to let Allie take this one because I'll go off for 10 minutes. Take it over, Allie. 
Oh my God. I have like so much proof in the lyrics, so much proof in the pudding of this album that it is not about a breakup with them. Like if you just like take a minute to look at the poetry within this and the fact that she said that it was about characters to begin with, it is not a breakup. I just want to pipe in too. Okay. Taylor has written many songs that she does not relate to. Love Story, Speak Now, Death by a Thousand Cuts. Yes. Okay, that was the one I was waiting for. The Lucky One. She, yeah. I mean, we could probably list more. She does this quite often. These are, mm-hmm. these are concept songs. And, and it is not outlandish for a writer who has said if she weren't a singer, she would want to write poetry. It's not strange that she would have these characters that she would want to write songs about because she's done this before Mm -hmm. and i just think the people who say this just don't know taylor's discography or who she is at all and i think they're wrong and that they take things at face value and they should think a little bit harder i'm done (laughs) exactly i agree this is definitely definitely not about a breakup but when you see those things and you are a Taylor stan, you're like, okay, I know that's false, but don't even say that because that's like disrespecting their relationship. But I will yeah. say after hearing those things and everyone's saying Taylor's back and she's sad and like she went through a breakup, the one line, if there was a singular line, and again, I do not think they broke up. I do not think they broke up at all. If there was a singular line that made me think that they broke up, it was this one you're not my homeland anymore. And that made me think about how he's British and she's American. But interesting is that this song, Exile, is one of the songs that William Bowery co-wrote. So if William Bowery is Joe Alwyn, you know, maybe they're just putting themselves in that place of how they would feel if they had broke up. That's easy to do. Like you can think about that emotion. Yeah, she's getting that male perspective. Yeah, she's getting that male perspective. but I just want to say that, um, I mean, this song is definitely a standout. I've heard a lot of people talk about this song and I don't think, you know, I think it speaks for itself. You know, it's a very emotional song about losing someone, but I think a really powerful thing comes at the end. Bonavera says, cause you never gave a warning sign. And then she keeps saying, I gave you so many signs. I, I think that's that just part. like, I mean, it's just so beautiful and like mm-hmm. really shows like a disconnect right before a breakup. Um, and there's just so many parts like okay and then when bonavera goes so step right out like that part for yeah. me amazing but we should go on to the next song so, no because i i have thoughts okay all right come on tell me so first one being remember when i said that there are two songs that i didn't love <gasps> this is one no. of them but i'll tell you why i'll tell you why and the reason the set for the second song it's for a very similar reason Okay. It makes me too sad. Okay. It's, it's like the last time from her Red album, I very frequently skip that because it makes me really sad. Yeah. And this song makes me really, really sad. So that's one okay. of my two. And yeah. I also want to bring up the line that you mentioned, Homeland. If we're thinking of James and Betty as this entire album and James being the one who goes off to war mm-hmm. in Epiphany. Homeland. Ooh, okay. All right. I see. Those you. are my thoughts. I see you. I think Betty and James are this whole album. So I will definitely well, I agree with can, that. I think that they can be interwoven into all of these narratives. I completely agree. Now, let's move on to My Tears Ricochet. Okay. So 
Jack Antonoff said that this was one of his favorite things he's ever worked on with Taylor ever. This song in August. And this is an interesting one to land on me to start because although I agree that, you know, My Tears Ricochet can obviously relate to a love triangle and like that heartbreak that comes along with that, I am thoroughly convinced that this song is about Scott Borchetta. Um, For sure. It's, yeah, like, there's just no denying it and I'm here for it. And it's such a beautiful song that's like so purely Taylor's personal emotions. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't have it in myself to go with Grace. like she spoke out, you know, she was like, I'm not going to be that nice little girl anymore. I'm well, let's talk about the first, the second line in the first mm-hmm. verse. If I'm on fire, you'll be made of ashes too. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, I'm not going down without a fight. I'm going to bring you no. right down with me. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what she did. If you listen to our Scooter Braun episode, which many of you didn't because, <laughs> because the very next morning we released our folklore and we totally get it, but it's a good episode yeah. if you want to go back and listen to it. I don't know if My Tears Ricochet would have hit the same if I hadn't, like, learned everything about Scott Borchetta and Scooter Braun. Like, Mm -hmm. and even you, you didn't know that much beforehand either. We did a lot of Mm -hmm. research for it. So even Cressy, the person that knows everything about Taylor Swift, we both learned so much in that episode. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, listen to that episode if you want to make My Tears Ricochet hit different. Because it is 100% about Scott Borchetta. And, like, somewhat Scooter Braun, but, like, it really kind of hits home for Scott Borchetta. Um, You wear the same jewels that I gave you as you bury me. Like, she made him so successful throughout that whole time. You used to tell me I was brave when I fought. The platinum and gold, I don't know all the rankings of albums, diamond, (laughs) whatever, hanging in frames on the wall is a big machine. Those are expensive. Yeah, And she even says, I can go anywhere I want, anywhere I want, just not home. She could have signed with Mm -hmm. any record label, but she wasn't going to go to Big Machine because of what they were doing to her. And then, oh my God. And when you can't sleep at night, you hear my stolen lullabies. Mic drop. And it's just like, there's just so many. We could go on and on. Um, but they really say, like, you used to tell me I was brave. That's kind of, like, the proof that it's Scott Borchetta and not really Scooter, because Scott Borchetta, unlike Scooter, used to be on Taylor's side. Whether Scooter and Taylor Mm -hmm. were acquaintances at one point, whatever, up to your own determination. But Scott Borchetta and Taylor went through everything together, went through her whole initial success together. So that's all my enemies started out friends. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I do think this can also be tied to the whole Betty James thing just because of the lines of like, cause I loved you. I swear I loved you till my dying day. I don't think Taylor loves Scott Borchetta until she dies now, you know? No. Yeah. But I totally, totally a thousand percent agree that the whole thing that happens with he and Scooter shapes this song. And I love yeah. the line and the chorus. And if I'm dead to you, why are you at my wake? Yes. Yes. That was a jaw dropper when I first heard it. Yeah. Why are you at the wake? Yeah. It's It's also a good Taylor Swift track five song. Yeah. Track five songs are known to be the saddest ones. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is the saddest song in the album, but I think it fits. Yeah. So let's talk about the sixth song, Mirror Ball. Or as I like to call it, when Taylor said, disco rights, just for me. If you don't know this about me, I love disco. <laughs> so I, before we get into any of the lyrics at all, I really like this song, but 
I have to say that the beginning of this song, I think if it's not the exact same instrumentals, it's very close to the exact instrumentals of Linger by the Cranberries. Yeah. Do you hear it? I So I saw that on a Taylor Swift board earlier, and Cressy and I, again, we never talked about this, so a lot of this stuff we're talking through as you're well, listening people are talking us. about it? Because I, I just came up with this on my own. No, yeah, I saw that on a board, so that must be... I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah. Well, and it, the reason that it stuck in my mind was because when she starts out with, I, and then it changed the melody really quickly, but I always <laughs> think of... I want to soak up the sun. <laughs> I don't know I, That was another thought I have yeah. is her yeah. voice is very Cheryl Crow on top yeah. of the Cranberries instrumentals here. Yeah. It's, it's very Cheryl Crow. Yeah. So the song reminds me a lot of The Lucky One, kind of just because of the way she is singing how she would change herself and be prettier and be more flashy and like, I'm going to be who you want me to be. And, you know, and the lucky one, it's about this famous woman who's, you know, taken advantage of frequently mm-hmm. and, and she ends up going into hiding and, you know, it's yeah. the same theme of mm-hmm. changing yourself to be what other people want you to be. Mm-hmm. It's on theme. Okay. But yeah. I have some thoughts about how this song is Inez's point of view And it's from the perspective of Inez desperately trying to keep James' attention. So this was, um, like I mentioned in our emergency episode, I drove all the way to Charleston and back this weekend. So I've listened to this album a lot. And I listened (laughs) to it a lot with my mom. And she was saying how she couldn't hear some of the lyrics to the song. So we pulled them up. And I completely changed my point of view of it after seeing the lyrics. What was your point of view before? Um, my point of view before I looked up the lyrics and really understood what it was about was it was about, um, and my mom was asking me like, what is this song about? And I was like, it's about someone who's like in love and they're just trying to be the best version of themselves, like kind of showing off for the person that they love. But then we looked up the lyrics because my mom was like, I don't think that's what it's about. Me and my mom have very serious discussions about Taylor Swift. (laughs) Um, but this is what I'm just going to explain. So I'm going to start by setting the scene. Hush, when no one is around, my dear, you'll find me on my tallest tiptoe, spinning in my highest heels, love shining just for you. Everyone knows that part. And that's what's kind of like glitzy and like showing off. But you gotta pipe in. Did you not think that it sounded like she was saying toilet the first time you heard it? I did not hear that. That was the At first all. thing I heard. It was another Starbucks lovers for me. No, and that's what people are it saying. It takes on the a board while too. for her to get. I am so glad people agree with me. Yeah, no, people are saying that on my Taylor Swift board. So I didn't read a lot of like Reddit posts and just deep analysis about it because I didn't want to accidentally plagiarize things that other people have said. You know, I wanted my thoughts to be my own thoughts and things that I came up with on my own. So it's nice to hear that other people think these things. Yeah, no, I mean, just kind of validates it too. Yeah. Um what changed my point of view on this song was when we looked up the lyrics and it was this verse. I'm still on that tightrope. I'm still trying everything to get you laughing at me. I'm still a believer, but I don't know why. I've never been a natural. All I do is try, try, try. I'm still on that trapeze. I'm still trying everything to keep you looking at me. So to me, because James was always in love with Betty and she was just the affair, the summer fling, this is Inez trying to kind of keep his attention and be like, I'm trying to be the best version of myself. I'm trying to make us great. 
and just trying her hardest. And it's honestly heartbreaking. But then I also want to point out, and this is the home run. One of the lines in the first verse is, and when I break, it's in a million pieces. So I want to bring up, I think a later song, Illicit Affair, is when Inez figures out that it's just an affair and it's not really, James was never really hers to begin with. Mm -hmm. But in Illicit Affair, she says, and it dies and it dies and it dies a million little times. So I think that kind of resembles her saying, you know, when I break into a million pieces and the illicit affair was her breaking the whole love affair, breaking into a million pieces. So I think this is Inez. Yeah, I do agree. I think this is from the point of view of the other one. For sure. Just just like grasping and trying to make this last. Mm Mm-hmm. So seven, I think is going to be what I consider the most underrated song on this album. Oh, I like that. I love this song. I love every single line of this song. And I could spend, I, I want to spend a lot of time breaking down every single verse and every single bit of it because I'm obsessed with it. But before I do, what are your thoughts, Allison? <laughs> you know I've got some thoughts, but I'll be quick so we can do this together. I think that Seven is James's point of view when he's in his infatuation stage with Inez. Because... One of the lines that I think this is the most clear is when he says, sweet tea in the summer, cross your heart, won't tell no other. Don't tell okay. anyone else. And then the reason I think this is a boy's point of view, because for a while I just assumed it was a girl, but I never could make sense of the line, your braids like a pattern. Although I know boys could have braids, I think it's way more common for girls to have braids, especially with Taylor and the artistry of the album. She always has her hair braided into mm-hmm. the little space buns. So I think th- that this is James' infatuation stage with Inez as it's kind of like the you know counterpart to August. I think Seven is from James' point of view, and then I think um, August is Inez's point of view. Um, okay, I have to butt in. No, go ahead. I think this song, lyrically, is outside of the love triangle. I think this is about seven-year-olds being friends. Oh, Like, this is about a childhood friendship. I'll tell you why. So, picture me, feet in the swing over the creek. They're playing. She's too scared to jump in. With Pennsylvania under me, Taylor grew up in Pennsylvania. This feels like a song about her childhood, and... Mm especially sweet tea in the summer, cross your heart, won't tell no other. Like that's a, that's like a thing you do with your your friends. And then right after that, this is what really did it for me to think of it in this way is the very next line. And though I can't recall your face, I still got love for you. So I think a lot of us have had those wonderful childhood friendships. Mm -hmm. Even if it was just like a little girl you met on the beach on vacation or something. And you don't remember exactly how they looked because mm-hmm. seven years old, but you oh. can still remember like the beautiful memories and just like how that person made you feel and like the beautiful friendship. Like I had so many little friends growing up that I can't perfectly picture their face, but I have like very vivid memories of us like playing on the playground and, mm-hmm. and then it continues your braids, like a pattern, love you to the moon and Saturn and also pass down like folk songs memories and the second verse really hurts my heart it hurts my heart real bad allison why and i've been meaning to tell you i think your house is haunted your dad is always mad and that must be why sounds like 
her little friend's dad sucks ass. He's mean. <laughs> yeah. And she's awful. And the little seven-year-old perspective is your house must be haunted because your dad is so mean. Because, you know, you can't comprehend an abusive parent at that age. Yeah. Wow. Just, I'm like about to cry right now. And then after your dad is always mad, that must be why I think you should come live with me and we can be pirates. That's you play as pirates as a little kid. And yeah. then you won't have to cry or hide in the closet. Yeah. I don't know if this is like literal, like the, a little girl hiding in a closet or maybe she is not being accepted be, or he, this could be yeah. a boy uh, or this friend isn't being accepted for maybe their buttoning sexuality. Okay. Yeah, no, I see it. And then the bridge. Please picture me in the weeds before I learned civility. I used to scream ferociously. When you're a little kid, you'll run out on the grass and just scream because you don't know manners or rules yet. You don't care what other people think. Mm -hmm. And especially the ending, pack your dolls and a sweater. We'll move to India forever. That's such a little, you know, like we'll go to India, you know, because you don't know anything about geography or (laughs) or anything you're just like let's go to india like the most exotic place you can think of i i just love this song i think it's about just just about like the beautifulness that is childhood friendships that you may not be able to recall that person's face but you you have so many like vivid memories in it i could start crying right now but i won't i just think this is so underrated and it deserves attention i forgot to add this also might sway you to my side not that it's your side my side <laughs> but this is the second a song they wrote okay so this was kind of before yeah. they knew exactly what this album was going to be this is the second song okay that is good knowledge to know so that your description and this is not how i viewed the song beforehand but your description just really made me think of neverland because playing pirates Let's move to India. Like, that's very, like, creative and mystifying, just like Neverland. So it kind of fits that theme. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say, so I was very, very convinced that this was James' infatuation stage with Inez. And I want to bring up a line that you actually brought up, too. Um, So please picture me in the weeds before I learned civility. I used to scream ferociously anytime I wanted. So I think that this is symbolic of... James' time with Inez and how he became a better person over the summer before he got back with Betty. And I'm going to tell you why. Because actually, in a different song, they mentioned how they were growing together over the summer. Um, I forget exactly which one, but we'll come to it. But then in This Is Me Trying, which I wholeheartedly believe is from James. And in that song, one of the lines says, And my words shoot to kill when I'm mad. I have a lot of regrets about that. And that, in my mind, is after the summer. So when they say the line, before I learned civility, I used to scream ferociously anytime I wanted. I relate to that being James, perhaps being a little verbally abusive in a way. Okay. And maybe why they ended before the summer. And then he grew over the summer, became a better person, learned lessons, and then they got back together. I respect that. Before we move on, okay. I just glanced at my sheet and I have another line I want to bring up. After with Pennsylvania under me, are there still beautiful things? Feels like looking back at where you grew yeah. up. Like, does it still look the way it looked when we played out there? That is amazing. That is I just cute. want to listen to this and cry in the shower now. <laughs> 
I love when she says Pennsylvania, just because like, yeah. yeah, knowing that's where she grew up, but it's also kind of close to where I grew up. So I was like, yes, PA represent. I'll pretend that means Maryland. <laughs> so let's get into August now. This is my second favorite song, very close to first. So I kind of have another connection like I did with I Knew You Were Trouble. Mm-hmm. This kind of feels like the aftermath of You Belong With Me. Okay. Hear me okay. out. So You Belong With Me, the music video, it's like boy next door, girl next door, they fall in love, like whatever you want to call it, that teenage bullshit. <laughs> they get together and prom happens in the springtime. What happens after spring? Summer break. Mm-hmm. So since they're neighbors, they probably spend a lot of time together, you know? But she's saying like, when school starts again, are you still going to call me? Because it's August. Yeah. School's about to start. That's really And then there's lines about um, like them driving together. Like that happens in You Belong With Me. Mm-hmm. And I know these aren't connected in real life, but it's just fun to think of this just as the tail end of that saga you know like sometimes things don't work out even though they're very beautiful and wonderful moments like you belong with me in the music video like that was great but sometimes things just don't work out and i don't know especially with like because you were never mind he was with bitchy taylor first (laughs) brunette taylor yes i love every single line in it i could spend five ever talking about it so i feel like i should let Allie take over and then I'll just pipe in when I love what she talks about. Because I really, I love this song. And it's also 8 out of 16. That's my mother trucking birthday. <laughs> she did it for me. So now let me tell you about my point of view of August. Shocker, I think it's from Inez's point of view. But I actually like had a couple. And I agree. I agree. Okay, good. Um, but something that I kind of had a revelation about when I was looking through the lyrics I think it gets a little bit more interesting. Not only did James and Inez have a summer fling, a summer affair, I think that James took Inez's virginity. And you know why? 1,000%, 100, oh. uh, 100,000, and I would die believing that. Oh, I'm a, well, just out of this one line alone, whispers of, are you sure, never have I ever before. Oh, yeah. Done. Virginity. Done. Virginity. And then also the line, this and I little turd. I, know. I don't want James to end up with Betty. This guy sucks, <laughs> and that's why yeah. I don't think they do. Go on. <laughs> I do think that they end up, but I do think James really, really screwed up Inez. Hence, Mad Woman. But another line that just further, you know, validates the fact that James took Inez's virginity, and it's clear in this song is, and I can see us twisting in bed sheets. Done done very much virginity kind of gives you it's kind of like i remember my um you know like my 10th grade health class played us the song strawberry wine to talk about why we shouldn't lose our virginity um yeah no why they made us close our eyes and put our heads down on a desk and listen to the song strawberry wine um and then i'm not joking this is so problematic i won't go too far into this They made us listen to this song, and it was a very romantic song about losing your virginity, much more romantic than August. And then they literally straight up told us, okay, and then after this, you go to the gynecologist, and you find out that you have HIV, 
and then your oh HIV turns into AIDS. I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. And I'm not poking fun. This is literally what I was taught in the Carroll County school system in Maryland. I'm wow, not joking. I did not know Florida would be more progressive. They just played Changes by David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> Talked about the changes we would, go, we would be going through. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe August will start to become the sex ed song. You never know. I hope mm-hmm. not. Um... But another thing is the line, you kind of talked about this being the second part of You Belong With Me. Will you call me when you're back at school? I remember thinking I had you. I think this means that when James went back to school, he got back together with Betty. Mm -hmm. As soon as summer was over, he wanted Betty and not Inez. So she's saying, I think I had you, but I didn't. They probably were neighbors and he had easy access to her. And when he was back to being able to see Betty every day at school, Mm -hmm. he was like, oh, this is convenient for me again. I'm going to go back to her. I hate him. I hate him. We we don't know if it's a boy or girl, but I'm just for um, simplicity's sake, I'm going to use male pronouns. I do have one last thought and then we'll go on to the next song. Um, So I really love this line. And when they were singing it, I really like, you know, it was just a beautiful line, but canceled plans just in case you call and say, meet me behind the mall. I love, love that it. line. But I think that's, that this relates to the song Mirrorball and Inez's point of view from Mirrorball because it kind of shows how desperate she was for James' affection and how she was just willing to conform herself to be with James. So like meet me behind the mall, it was kind of like, you know, like her taking any chance to be with him, but also from the song Seven, where I think James says, sweet tea in the summer, cross your heart, won't tell no other. They're meeting behind the mall. They're not meeting in a public place. That's another warning sign of an illicit affair, you know, that's to come when Inez figures out that this is just nothing to him. Meet me behind yeah, the mall. this is when it goes from the line, I'm not going to say it exactly, but like from beautiful bedrooms to car back seats or whatever. Yeah. This is a car back seat when they meet at the mall. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Meet me behind the mall. A little problematic. A little bit like you're trying to hide the person. So I feel bad for Inez. And I like that the melody, it's like the melody is very like fleeting, you know, and it kind of gives you the feeling of August slipping away like a bottle of wine. And August is like the month before school starts, you know? Right before he leaves Inez to get back with Betty. August. Mm-hmm. it's it's i love this song i think it's very powerful in many different ways for sure it's my number two so the next song is this is me trying track nine obviously one of the saddest songs from the album for me this is james trying to get back together with betty and betty not quite taking him back yet like it's the beginning stages of this process and the reason i say that is because i think after this he still strings in as along and that's what gets so dicey about the love triangle but Um, something that I want to point out is that he says, but I'm here in your doorway. And in Cardigan, from Betty's point of view, she says, I knew you would show up at my doorway. A couple other things, and my words shoot to kill when I'm mad. Again, I think that he was probably verbally abusive. Um, That might be an intense way to say it, but at least his words were not kind. Oh, and then this is the line about the film. And then James says, which I believe it's his point of view in the song, you're a flashback in a film reel on the one screen in my town. So I think he's saying that Betty is a film. And then if you remember from the one, which I think is Inez, you know, the greatest films of all time were never made. So I think 
Betty and James are a film, but Inez and James film was never made. But something that I realized when I read the lyrics were these two lines. Pulled the car off the road to the lookout. Could have followed my fears all the way down. I think that means he was like potentially at a breaking point. He might have been contemplating killing himself. I think he pulled his car off the road to the lookout. I think that's like code for like hooking up with her in like a little lover's lane area interesting okay because we interpreted that completely different yeah because he talks about like his car like this entire in the entire first verse it starts with like his shiniest wheels you know it feels like they're hooking up in cars it's the same that we see in many songs but could have followed my fears all the way down at a lookout yeah interesting okay different interpretations but now cressy what do you think what do you want to point out about this song I just want to call attention to the second verse because the line, oh my God, it is so good. They told me all of my cages were mental, so I got wasted like all my potential. If you don't feel like you're not living up to your fullest potential, well, first of all, you should be worried. Just kidding. (laughs) You have a very healthy relationship with worth ethic and I dig it. I don't. I always <laughs> no, feel like yeah. I need to be doing more and doing better and I'm wasting potential. And especially just like the line of like, they told me all of my cages were mental. I think you can also point that to like mental illness. Like when people oh. say things like, like about depression, for example, like just mm-hmm. get up and work out. Like it's all in your head. Like go take a jog, yeah. do some yoga, do some breathing exercises. Like this is all in your head. You can just get up, you know? Interesting. But it's cages. They're not mental. Just wanted to point that out. I love this little, just tiny little section. I think it's really, really smart and brilliantly written. I love that. And we are at Illicit Affairs. Woohoo. So can I start this one? Yeah, go ahead. So I saw a tweet about this song and I, now it's all I picture when I listen to it. So Allie, I, I don't think you've watch this show you haven't mentioned it to me but have you watched community i have yeah so you get you know the characters you've watched it all right yeah 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 so someone put the lyrics to this song to a video montage of jeff and annie specifically the lines don't call me kid don't call me baby because there was that (laughs) huge age gap and just oh my god for you, I would ruin myself a million times. So now all I picture is Jeff and Annie whenever I listen to this song. <laughs> Taylor Swift is a big television junkie. Like she named her cat Meredith Grey, and the other cat's named after a uh, Benjamin Button. Yeah, television and yeah. movies. What lines uh, do you like in this song? I have a lot of little areas I've highlighted. We already mentioned this, but what started in beautiful rooms ends with meetings in parking lots. Okay, so I said backseats of cars. I got that wrong. Back checking oh. me. But the parking lot of the mall. Yeah. Some of the things that I brought up before was, but it dies and it dies and it dies a million little times. I think this relates back to Mirrorball and how Inez is being broken into a million pieces. A drug mm-hmm. that only worked the few hundred times. You know, I think that August and seven kind of, well, especially August though, 
kind of shows that like high that you get with that infatuation, especially with the summer fling. So a drug that only worked the first few hundred times, I think is symbolic of the fling that Inez and James had. And I think because this song comes after This Is Me Trying, and I think that This Is Me Trying is James trying to get back with Betty, I think that's where it shifts to an illicit affair because James doesn't quite have Betty back yet, so he's still kind of stringing on Inez. A lot of people think that James cheated on Betty, but with songs like Exile, I guess because I've always kind of assumed a semi-chronological order, I've always assumed, oh no, like Betty and James were broken up, then he got with Inez, and then he did this. So, I mean, if Inez, or if James stole... Inez's virginity while he was cheating on Betty. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. I, okay, I'm still a little bit team my side where I think that they broke up in exile. Then James found Inez and got really infatuated, but then realized he still wanted Betty. I don't well, really quite, yeah, no, continue. And this but, could be just her looking back. True. You know? oh, oh my God. Freshman year of college or any time in college, really, when you think you're having a fling that means more than it is. And then it just turns out to be a dumpster fire. I think it's just really symbolic of how one person can interpret something to be super meaningful. And then the other person, it's just nothing. And -hmm. it does kind of make you feel like it's just an illicit affair. And that's awful. And no wonder Inez is a scorned woman. So to end your thought, Mm -hmm. I am thinking just with the use of the word affair, this has to be while he and Betty are still together, right? Do we I think do we agree on that? Because this because it is an affair that I think, that's cheating. I think, and I've struggled with this thought, but I think that it's called an affair because in this is me trying, James was trying to win. Betty back. It's almost like we were on a break, you know, and like when you're with someone else during that and you're still kind of trying to work it out with someone, it's kind of like we were on a break, you know, like, are you together? Are you not? But he still went and did whatever with Inez and had this illicit affair. And, you know, that's still going to hurt. And that is still cheating in a way. That's how I interpreted it. Cause I think with August and all of that, I think that there was a moment in time where Inez and James were together and it, Betty wasn't in the picture because of exile. Because there is proof because in the song Betty, James, what I'm assuming is James' point of view in the song Betty, he brings up how it all went wrong when Betty's favorite song came on and he wasn't there to dance with her, so she danced with someone else. That is brought up in exile. So, you know, I saw you dancing with him, and then she says, I could have seen you get your knuckles bloody. Like, I think that there was a falling out. That's more proof that this album isn't chronological. Okay, tell me why. Because you just brought up a line from Betty and related it to Exile. That's the fourth song compared to the, what number is Betty? Like 12? I think it's 14. 14. Yeah. To the 14th song. But Betty to me, was him trying to get back with her and talking about where they went wrong. So to me, that doesn't necessarily mean, like, that. to me, that's still chronological. Like, he's saying, oh, we went wrong here. So in that point, he's talking about something in the past. The only reason I remember Betty is 14 was because I really wanted it to be 13 because it's old Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the only reason I was like, no, it's 14. (laughs) But um, what do you, any other lasting thoughts about this song? Yes, yeah, so uh, 
Ali, I, I find it really interesting that you didn't bring up the spiciness of this song. Oh, you know I like spicy things. <laughs> Tell your friends you're out for a run. You'll be flushed when you return. Oh. Oh, your face. Oh. <laughs> I, like, literally, <laughs> I literally just, just changed. <laughs> I went, you don't oh. hear that? <laughs> no, I did not pick that up as like a sexual thing. Wow. And you showed me colors you know I can't see with anyone else. Orgasms. <laughs> Orgasming. Right? Wow. I mean, how else can you interpret that? I, I don't yeah. know. I guess I was picturing it more emotionally, like love can be seen as a color. Well, this is an illicit affair. This is an orgasm. Yeah. Oh. Well, I will say, and then the last reason why I think that there was a period where Inez and James oh, were together. Oh, we're still on this. Yes, we are still on this because I'm so passionate about this. I have a sip of my beer. Um, is one of the lines, because I think this is from her point of view again. She says, look at this idiot." And I agree with that. I- Sorry yeah. to interrupt. I agree yeah, with that. Good. You agree with that? And the line is, look at this idiotic fool that you made me. If you knew it was an affair going in, I mean, then again, he could have been with Betty and not told her, and that's still making her a fool, but I kind of think he let her on, but his heart was truly with Betty, because he even says, I'm pretty sure it's in the song, Betty, I thought of you all summer long. That was just a summer fling. And this is high school. Yeah, it's high school. All of these relationship lines are totally blurred, you know? Yeah, and, like, in high school, you know, when you're an adult now, if some if you break up with someone and they have a fling with someone else, it's like, okay, you had the right. When you're in high school and you just break up with your boyfriend and he has an affair over the summer or a fling over the summer, you are not okay. You, you say, were cheated on. Yeah, you're like, uh-uh. <laughs> That's what you no. think. Yeah, so I think, I don't know, it's very high school. Lines blurred. But yeah, I, I just wanted to point out those two spicy lyrics, especially tell yeah. your friend you're out for a run, you'll be flushed when you return. I know. Well, and then right before that, they say, make sure nobody sees you leave, hood over your head, keep your eyes down, meet me behind the mall. Yeah. Things are happening in cars. Things are Orgasms happening Orgasms are happening in cars. All right. Number 11. Okay, we Invisible String. This is your favorite, right? Oh, I, yes. This is definitely in my top five for sure. I love this song. Well, when you asked me what my favorite song was, you know, it really is hard to pick, but then I had to think about the one that made the most impression of, on me. Because like, mm-hmm. I could say the one was my favorite song, but at that point, everyone was saying the one was their favorite song. I was like, no, let's like dig a little deeper. You mm-hmm. know, like, what is a song? What is my don't blame me of the folklore era? <laughs> you know? I have um, a lot of thoughts on this too. And actually, surprisingly, I do think this song is mostly about Joe and Taylor. Same. I know I'm loyal. percent. Yeah, like I'm so loyal to the love triangle, but this is about Joe and Taylor. Let's start with, teal was the color of your shirt when you were 16 at the yogurt shop. Apparently, according to the internet, Joe Allen did work at a yogurt shop. First off, let's start there. Well, and he had a, he had a quote in an interview where he was like, yeah, to make a little money over the summer. Oh, like, I'll oh have God, to dig it up and that. I'll put the link to the source if I am correct. If I'm yeah. not, I'll correct myself in our next episode. But I, I, that would be a weird thing for me to make up. I'm pretty sure I saw an interview and people were like, look <laughs> at this line. He said a little money, you know? Yeah. That would be weird if you drunk that. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty damn weird. So probably my 
favorite line, bad was the blood of the song in the cab on your first trip to LA. Bad blood. That is, just imagine being in a new relationship with someone. They visit you in your country for the first time. They get into a cab. Bad blood is playing in the cab. Doesn't that just like sound like a bad omen, you know, (laughs) for him to arrive and be like, your song bad blood was playing, you know, like, oh my God, doesn't that, that just feels like it's a bad omen. It should have been like wildest dreams. Yeah. But (laughs) that's interesting space. Cause I didn't like, oh yeah, I got a blank space baby and I'll write your name. And then Joe Allen walks in. Um, but that's interesting because I didn't interpret it as his first time visiting her. I took it as he was on your first trip to LA. I know, but I thought he was an actor. So maybe his first trip to LA was his first movie, the military one. Oh, true. That is true. That would be romantic. Like if he like specifically remembered that. Um, okay. And then I'm going to say one more line. I could talk forever about this, about how, the waitress said that she looked like an American singer. I hope that's a true fact. Like, I hope that actually happened. We know she wore wigs. We know this happened. I know. When they were getting lunch down by the lakes on their three-year. Okay, we're going to talk about the lakes later, but that is mentioned I've got some bad news about that too, Allie. I've got some bad news about it. What is it? What is it? What is it? We'll we'll get to it. Okay. Well, I'm going to stay happy for now. (laughs) So am I. I'm going to, like, not believe it. (laughs) Okay. Even though it Um, came from the co-writer. No. Okay. Well, you're going to have to tell me later and I'm going to cry. So the other line that I'm going to mention and I'm going to let Cressy take over. Cold was the steel of my axe to grind for the boys who broke my heart. Now I send their babies presents. Joe Jonas just had a baby with Sophie Turner. And she had an axe to grind when they broke up. Yes. She talked about it on Ellen. She made vlogs about it. She like bought the Joe Barbie doll to make a video with him. Like she had an axe to grind. Okay, so I'm gonna bring up this one line before I go into the color symbolism in this song. And it's in the bridge. Taylor's bridges are infamous. We know this. This one is no exception. (laughs) And the bridge starts a string that pulled me out of all the wrong arms right into that dive bar dive bar on the east side where you at delicate oh bitch. my god yes i just dropped a, a fake bike i do that a Mike. lot like you guys oh can see me <laughs> well and it's just such a romantic idea too this invisible string pulling them together that's how you imagine your soulmate always like oh i'm gonna end up with them one day oh it's just so romantic well and i don't want to I don't know if it's Chinese or Japanese. Please forgive me, listeners. But it's it's some traditional folklore in an Asian area of an invisible string being between soulmates. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. I'll definitely find a source for that because I hate to put something on another country that's another country's tradition. I, I don't want to offend anyone. I wish I remembered it. But yeah. That is a thing somewhere in an Asian country. It is a type of folklore. Yes. All right. So let's begin. So the first color we see in the song is in the very first line, first verse. Green was the color of grass where I used to read at Centennial Park. So Centennial Park, it's not the Centennial Park in Atlanta where Ali and I were going to see her perform live. (laughs) 
that's where we were going to see her. Isn't that sad? No, she's talking about Centennial Park in Nashville. Another sign that this album was for us. (laughs) It really is. I used to think I would meet somebody there. So now let's jump again to when she mentions Centennial Park again. This is in the third verse. Gold was the color of the leaves when I showed you around Centennial Park. Remember when Taylor said, I once believed love would be burning red, but it's golden? Oh, the leaves. Oh my so God. She, the, she's talking about the green grass in the park, but whenever she takes him there, she notices not the green, she notices the gold leaves. Oh my God. That I have so chills to you. No, I literally did. We say that so much on the podcast, <laughs> so I didn't say it, but like literally chills just came over my entire body. And in the bridge, she says one single thread of gold tied me to you. I, again, I once believed love would be burning red or I once believed love would be black and white. She says both, but it's yeah. golden. It's, it's gold. The thread is gold. gold. The end is a little string of gold. Isn't that so cute? That is so cute. And then I want to talk about the chorus. Gave me the blues and then purple pink skies. What is the cover of Lover? Purple, oh, purple pink, pink skies. skies. That's beautiful. I'm so happy right now. My final thoughts on this song. Now that I'm done talking about the colors I wanted to bring up. Because, right? Is that not the cutest thing you've ever heard in your entire life? Oh, I just love it so much. And this song is why you should not think that this album is a breakup album. I mean, we can't say for sure if they are together. I'd like to think that they are. We should also point out that in our Joe episode that isn't out yet, uh, we go over an Instagram story he posted of Benjamin Button like a month ago. Yeah. Like, they're together. Yeah. Like, there's, she would not have enough time to write a breakup album if they broke up a month ago and for it to come True. out now. Like, there's no True. way that could happen that quickly. And if yeah. they were fighting, do you think he would just post a picture of her cat for fun? No. He probably asked her if it was okay, you know? Like, yeah. And Taylor is a fast songwriter, but she's not that fast. Thank you. But finally, before we go on to our next song, Gold Thread, Tying the Knot, <gasps> Marriage. Oh, I hope so. We're just going to leave it at that and head to number 12. So when I first listened to Mad Woman, I texted Ali in all caps. <laughs> Taylor saying the F word. <laughs> and Allie wasn't there yet. So I was like, all right, I won't spoil it. But it's going to come when you least expect it. First verse. This is the one, yeah. two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eighth line in the song. And it just hits hard. Or does she mouth? Fuck you forever. I have, ah! <laughs> next to it. And that's our notes for this song. Um, I also want to talk about the lines in the second verse. It's obvious that wanting me dead has really brought you two together. Yes. Is this Kimye or is this Scott and Scott? Or is this Scooter and Yale? I thought about Yale. I, Scooter Braun. I think wife. Yale's mentioned for sure whenever they talk about uh, women like hunting witches too. Oh, right. I just thought of it as Scott Rochetta and Scooter. Like it, this brought them together. How angry they are at her. That just, like, pisses me Why would this bring Scooter closer together with someone he's already married to? And if I'm dead, why are you showing up at the wake? Cursing my name. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Republic Records is on the same road as Big Machine. Interesting. So 
they are neighbors. Oh, God. So, and you know, when artists have big accomplishments, I think I saw this on Twitter somewhere, so I'm not going to claim it as my own original thought, but when artists have big accomplishments, apparently they will have big banners in the front yards of these music studios celebrating it. So theoretically, someone driving to Big Machine would drive past, do you see my face in the neighbor's lawn? Oh, oh shit. So, I mean, I don't know if that's true. I obviously don't work in the music industry. I think that this song, Mad Woman, definitely has very direct ties to probably Kim Ye, to Scooter and Scott Borchetta, and to Scooter and Yale, um, Yale being Scooter's wife. I do think it can also be viewed as Inez's point of view, most obviously. She's a scorned woman after she was let on by James all summer and he ends up with Betty. So I think it can definitely be viewed that way as well. But I think specific lyrics are just a very clearly, you know, they were very clearly given inspiration from the ways that Kim Kardashian and Yale Braun kind of pitched in the fight of their husbands Mm -hmm. it's like kind of towards the end of the song but she says because you took everything from me watching you climb watching you climb over people like me scooter climbing over people Mm -hmm. like her the master of spin has a couple side flings a lot of people talked about this with kanye i wouldn't be surprised if scooter had an affair but like i don't really know that for sure so don't quote me Mm -hmm. i really don't know and i'm not slandering Mm -hmm. um Good wives always know she should be mad, should be scathing like me, but no one likes a mad woman. That is throwing Kim Kardashian and Yale Braun under the bus Mm -hmm. because it's saying you should be mad. You should be standing up for yourself like me, Mm -hmm. but no one likes a mad woman. So you're being quiet. Mm -hmm. And I don't really want to go into too much about Kim Kardashian and Kanye. I know they're going through a hard time right now and my heart goes out to Kanye suffering from mental illness right now, so I don't want to go into too much detail, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it definitely seems pointed. That also reminds me, I want to have a quick sidebar for weekend listeners. I want to fight anyone who thinks Taylor released this album on purpose on July 24th to overshadow Kanye's album release on July 24th. Because why would Taylor spend months writing an album and push it back just because she found out Kanye was also releasing an album that same day? And he also announced it like a few days before it happened. And also, spoiler alert, he didn't release it at all. It's just like the whole thing with if a man does it, he's strategic. But if a woman does it, she's calculated. Like it's literally just a Friday in July. Mm -hmm. And she's been working on this since early May. And it's her best album to date. Whether you love Red, whether you love 1989, whether you love Reputation, Lover, whatever, whether you love those more than this album, this is her most artistic album and most cohesively fantastic album to date. So I think we can safely move on to the next song, which is Epiphany, which will probably be our quickest song to talk about, even though it's beautiful. So with Epiphany, I feel like we should go into a little bit more detail about this being about her grandfather in a way. And we actually see her grandfather in the Cardigan music video. Oh, really? You'll notice there's a black and white sepia tones, like old looking photograph on the wall 
of um, oh. a man and a uniform. That's her okay. grandpa. Interesting. I didn't know that. So this is about him or inspired by him. And I just wanted to read what Aaron said about this because I think it makes a lot of sense, especially considering the climate of today. So, quote, it's partially the story of her grandfather, who was a soldier, and partially then a story about a nurse in modern times. I don't know if this is how she did it, but to me, it's like a nurse, doctor, or medical professional where med school doesn't fully prepare you for seeing someone pass away or just the difficult emotional things that you encounter in your job. In the past, heroes were just soldiers, Cressy piping in her grandpa. Back to the quote. Hmm. Now they're also medical professionals. To me, that's the underlying mission of the song. There are some things that you see that are hard to talk about. You can't talk about it. You just bear witness to them. But there's something else incredibly soothing and comforting about this song. To me, it's this Icelandic kind of feel, almost classical. My brother did really beautiful orchestration of it. End quote. And just side note, he mentions his brother because his brother does help a lot with the music and instrumentals in this album. He says that throughout this interview. I... Do you think this is a beautiful song? I do think it takes us, it diverts us a little bit away from the story. Some people take this as her grandfather, as the main character, as perhaps the James, mm-hmm. who might end up passing away after the war. I could see that, but I do think that it's just a beautiful story, not only painting the scene of washing up on shore after a war, but um, I never understood the medical professional thing. I think that's mm-hmm. incredible. I never took it that way, but I, it does make a lot of sense. I also want to point out, because I just want to know if anyone else thought this in the second verse, just a flesh wound. There's like this famous quote from Monty Python, where it's tis but a flesh wound. And it's like a joke. I just, did yeah. anyone else think about that? Cause I did. No. <laughs> It's obviously not related to the song because it's comedy, but not quite as poetic as Cressy's last thought, but it gave me major Moana vibes with the ah <laughs> sound. Um, but I like it. I like it. I think it's a beautiful song. And I agree. But this is my song too. Mm. I mentioned my first one being Exile. This is my second one. And Exile is the last time to me. This song is Soon You'll Get Better to me. Oh, okay. This song just depresses the hell out of me. I think about war. (laughs) I think about nurses. I think about medical professionals. I think about people enlisting to pay for college. I just, everything about this song really depresses me. So that's why this is the second song I don't love on this album. But it doesn't make it a bad song because it invokes that strong emotion. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that just shows her very powerful writing ability that it's able to make me feel this way that I'm like, I can't listen to this. Nope. Not today. Yeah. Um, But following probably one of the saddest songs on the album is probably one of the most upbeat songs of the album. If you remember from our emergency episode, I was looking at the song list and I was like, I feel like all these songs are going to be slow tempo. And I wasn't that far off. I think like it's a pretty slow tempo album, but Betty is a return to Country Taylor. I love this song so much. (laughs) I just break out into, but if I just showed up at your party a thousand times in my mind today. (laughs) And I think it's just so fun. And just, uh, I just can't believe that we were blessed with a new old Taylor song. Essentially, 
Um, it makes me and- so excited for her to re-record her masters. Oh my god, yes. Oh my god, she sounded like without the fake country accent, she sounded pretty much identical to what she yeah. sounded. Yeah. But I think it's pretty obvious that the song is James' point of view and he's getting mm-hmm. Betty back. It's very clear. You there's really no argument there. Um, the reason I've been calling the second woman Inez this whole time is because you heard the rumors from Inez. You can't believe a word she says most times, but this time it was true. So some th- people think it could just be a gossiper, which is likely. That's what I think. So yeah, some people take it as the gossiper. I personally just ran with the name Inez because it's really the only other name in the song. So I just mm-hmm. kind of ran with it. I gave the other woman a name. But yeah, it could just be a gossiper just kind of speculating. Or it could be coming from Inez herself if she was the second woman. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of towards the end when he says, you're stupid friends. Oh. Kind of makes me think Inez is like one of the stupid friends. You know, it's like you can't oh. believe what she says. Good point. Yeah, I, yeah, no, I could see it either way, but also mm-hmm. I just needed a name for this blank character. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in the garden, would you trust me if I told you it was just a summer thing? That's obviously referring to the affair with the second mm-hmm. woman, Inez or not Inez, who knows what the name is. And then basically what I've been talking about this whole time. Betty, I know where it all went wrong. Your favorite song was playing from the far side of the gym. I was nowhere to be found. I hate the crowds. You know that. Plus, I saw you dance with him. Basically, the beginning of Exile. Yeah. Word for word. And then, of course, he does the I was walking home on broken cobblestones. Like we mentioned in the song Mm -hmm. Cardigan, she mentions being in heels on cobblestones when they were, like, in love. So it talks about how he was walking home on these broken cobblestones, just thinking of you, thinking about Betty. And then when she pulled up like a figment of my worst intentions, she said, James, get in. Let's drive again a car. Mm-hmm. Those days turned into nights, slept next to her, but I dreamt of you all summer long. Boom. James Summer sucks. affair. James does suck, but that is just like validating my whole story in my mind. I want to talk about how she does such a great job of speaking from another person's voice. We should yeah. also point out that this is one of the songs written by William Bowery. Oh, we yeah. don't know who that is. So maybe it's a male who helped her write from the male perspective. But I love the way it begins because you just automatically know off the bat, this narrator is another human being because you switched your homeroom. I was riding on my skateboard when I past your house do you think taylor swift has ever skateboarded i'm sorry taylor i just don't see it (laughs) and this is also the second time she uses the f word my mouth dropped again whenever i heard it for the (laughs) first time oh my gosh and i also want to talk about the third verse before we move on because it reminds me of tim mcgraw oh my love or hate that i've been bringing up old taylor songs but I'm going to keep going. <laughs> so <laughs> in this third it. verse, Betty, I'm here on your doorstep and I planned it out for weeks now, blah, 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 blah. Tim McGraw. And there's a letter left on your doorstep. And the first <gasps> thing that you'll read, right? It's like a, it's a, yeah. it's a nice little parallelism. And then the song just wraps up super beautifully. Can't imagine a better ending. It goes, standing in your cardigan, kissing in my car again. Stopped at a streetlight, you know I miss you. So cute. 
I think this validates my whole story. I've said that like maybe a hundred times with every okay, single song. They can get back together, but that doesn't mean they end up together. And that's I don't okay. know. Young, it's okay if young love doesn't work out. I think we should that's say true. that in case we have any high schoolers listening. You oh, have yeah. some shitty boyfriend. Don't let oh. this song make you think, oh, well, it worked out for them. We're going to end up together mm-hmm. too. Because you know what? That's not how real life works. And I'm going to argue with Allie forever that I don't think they end up together. So okay. this is not a good guy. No. Um, I don't know why you want Betty to be with him. Why do you want just, this, Allie? Let's, let's think- dig into that. Why? Why? <sighs> I just think that he became a better person over the summer. I mean, actually, that's Did wrong. He, um, teenage boys say so much shit to manipulate women to True. get them to sleep with them because they're I, like I, 17 and their hormones are raging and they just want both parties to take off their pants. Sorry. It's true. No, it is incredibly true and... I think it's because I still relate invisible string to this storyline, even though I know it's just Taylor and Joe. And it's just, okay. I don't know. I get that. And yeah, and I think it's about personal growth. I think it's about a personal growth journey. And, you know, not every 16-year-old boy stays shitty forever. But I want to know what you think the growth is. How does James get better other than just simply apologizing? That's like the very, like, that's the lowest bar of being a good person that's apologizing when you cheat on your significant other or you you really hurt them even if they weren't together when this happened like just him apologizing is a very low bar for growth i guess i just feel like because this album is all about teenage love i feel like this bar is set low to begin with on the maturity scale so i feel like in this sense i just kind of take it for what it is and just like hope Betty and James are together because all teenage love is shitty like this, you know? It's all dramatic. And I dramatic. will counter that. Folklore is sometimes used to teach a lesson. Like oh. A wow. Boom. There we go. And like Taylor says, you know, this is being told by unreliable narrators. True. Gossip becomes facts. So. Yeah. So we really don't know the whole picture but we have two more songs left 15th track on the album is the song peace and it could be viewed as betty and james finally being together but i kind of view it as taylor and joe they say family that i chose now which is kind of why i think of betty and james because in the one they talk about the chosen family Mm -hmm. in the love triangle Mm -hmm. but um see your brother as my brother is it enough joe allen's little brother you know, it's just cute. And when you get married to someone, for instance, you see their brother as your brother. And then I also think this is about Taylor and Joe because of the line, there's robbers to the east, clowns to the west. East being Scooter and Scott, west being Kanye West. So I just think this is a more personal song about Taylor and Joe. So yeah, I think Peace is a great song and her vocals sound incredible in it. I love her vocals in it. I love the melody. And I completely agree. And I really want to point out to one line in the chorus that I think might be one of the best lines Taylor has ever written in her entire life. And the way she sings it gives me chills. The devil's in the details, but you got a friend in me. That's deep. That is. Let's back up a little bit. What does (laughs) devil and the details mean? It's an idiom. And it basically means if you don't look too deeply into something, whether it be a contract or just 
anything in real life, if you just take things as face value and just go like, la la la, like everything's fine. It's going to screw you over. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's the devil. Like you need to pay attention to every single little detail in your life, or you're going to get taken advantage of. You need to read the fine print, yada, yada, yada. But she's saying, you don't have to do that. You can trust me. I'm your friend. The devil's in the details, but you got a friend in me. You don't ever have to second guess that. Just love I it. love it. I love a good idiom. <laughs> and no, Taylor and Joe are not broken up. They are together and better than ever. Just read the that. songs. But I, but I believe it. I believe it. I don't want to believe anything else. Yeah. Speaking of believing anything else, the only hoax you'll believe in? Yeah. Hoax, our last song. And I think because this album started out with Inez's point of view with the one, I think Hoax is the heartbroken Inez at the end of the album. Your faithless love's the only hoax I believe in. Don't want no other shade of blue but you. No other sadness in the world would do. I think this is Inez looking back on the whole experience and thinking about her heartbreak and the fact that the whole fling, the whole relationship, the whole affair, whatever you want to call it, was a like was just a hoax and then she says you knew the hero died so what's the movie for you know the the best movies are never made what's the movie for it wasn't made and then also i want to point out and i'm not a musician but the piano and hoax to me sounds very very similar just slightly different from the piano and cardigan and i think the hoax piano is slightly sadder than cardigan and then because Cardigan is from Betty's point of view and Hoax is from Inez's point of view. Done. Boom. Mic drop. Out of here. Cressy. Let's talk about color. Oh, God. <laughs> Don't want no other shade of blue but you. Now let's just hop back over to the song we just talked about with all the color. Gave me the blues and purple pink skies. So obviously when things are going well with this boy, blue is a symbol. So she's saying in hoax, even in the bad, even with the blues, like I still want you. And then, so I don't want us to spend a lot of time on this actually, because I know this is a touchy subject and women who relate to this probably don't want to listen to a podcast dissecting this. So I'm just going to be very quickly, but my barren land in the previous song, she says, give you a child, give you my son, very next song my barren land you know that's very frequently a motif for fertility we're just gonna leave it at that just move on because i know that can be hard to listen to if that's something you struggle with and i'm really sorry another line i wanted to bring up was you know the password so i let you in the door what did you think of that line Allie? i have a little thought but i don't know if i believe it fully i think it's him saying all the right things so she gave him her virginity Okay, so I I think it's him saying the right things, but to me it's you said the right things, so I let you in, not necessarily okay. virginity. If if we're thinking about this and the lens that this is Taylor's voice, and you know it's it's everyone's voice. This entire mm-hmm. album is intertwined, but I think it can definitely be related to maybe a virginity or just letting someone in, or even physically letting someone in the door. Like you said the right things, mm-hmm. I'll let you in. I think it's a beautiful way to end the album. And like such a sad note, like usually you end with an upbeat note, but it really just brought out the emotion that one last time before the whole album wrapped up. I thought of something really important we have to say. What is it? 
So a lot of lyrics in this kind of hint that Joe, if we're thinking about this in the lens that this is Taylor and Joe in certain songs, obviously not all of them, may have had another lover, right? You know? Oh. So we're not gonna obvi- we're not gonna start this over and look at it from that lens, but just keep that in mind, Allie. But if what? we go back to delicate, she talks about how she doesn't want to share him. And did the girls back home touch you like I do? <gasps> so some people think maybe like maybe he wasn't in a relationship, but maybe he just had something or even the smallest thing, or maybe he was getting out of a relationship, something, but maybe there was a little just overlap because of that line and that song. And then just a few little lines here and there in this album. I don't know if that's true, but I mean, it does make sense. I mean, because they did start out, they met when Taylor was dating someone else and then she went on to date another person. So like things did overlap and I'm sure she understood too. Yeah. Damn. Wow. So any other final thoughts on any of the 16 songs before we close out? What about the lakes? Some people think that this may be a sign that they're engaged or maybe this song will say that they are broken up, but basically that Taylor did not want to release the song with the rest of the album because whatever's in the song would overshadow the entire album and would take away from its beautifulness. And that's why we are having to wait and we are only getting it in the physical copy, right? So I was really thinking engagement, you know? But I did see in Aaron's interview, he compared it to a Greek tragedy. Oh. But the song has already, the press has already listened to this to write their reviews. So I feel like if it was something major, maybe we would have a hint of it. I don't know. I really want to believe it's something really happy or even if it's just a happy song and it's nothing at all. And it's just a bonus song to get us excited and to get us to buy the vinyls and the CDs and all of that. I feel like there's no way it's a breakup song because you wouldn't, like, if you were going through a breakup, you wouldn't want to bring that kind of attention on your breakup. You know, you kind of just include it in the album. It would be a beautiful song. But I wouldn't personally, if I was a musician, release that separately to have its own moment. I'd be like, uh uh-uh. So to me, if it's an announcement of a breakup or an engagement, there's no way it's not an engagement. Well, and they had their three-year anniversary at the lakes. She says that in one of the previous songs. And she brings up the invisible string, like it's her soulmate, kind of like her fate. And she brings, that's the only time, yeah, that's the only time she brings up the lakes at all. Mm-hmm. You said I looked like an American singer. And imagine if she was in yeah. a brunette wig when she got proposed. Yeah. <laughs> so I really hope that this is a happy song. I, I don't want to put on my clown makeup just yet. But <laughs> I really hope it is. I hope I'm not wrong. Stop saying that it might mean she's pregnant. She literally drank wine during the premiere <laughs> of Cardigan's music video. So, And also, it's just rude as hell to speculate that someone's pregnant because Taylor has also talked about dealing with disordered eating and how people would say she was pregnant in tabloid pictures. Like, just like, don't do that. No. Nope. We'll fight you. Don't talk about women's weight. Yeah, we will fight you. So as we're closing, I just want to talk about how well-reviewed this album has been. It's one of her highest-rated albums, actually, Woo-hoo! by critics. Um, Pitchfork rated it 8 out of 10. You may be like, why is it not 10 out of 10? Well, actually, Reputation was 6.7 out of 10. So that's oh. a big leap. You know, this yeah. 8 out of 10 is a very big accomplishment. And most 
reviews have been four out of five or nine out of 10. It's been very high right now on Metacritic. It's her highest rated album. People think it's her most well-written album. And I, I'm inclined to believe it. I think this is written so beautifully and how you can interpret it any way you want. I, I really love it. And I'm glad that most critics agree with that. And I'm happy that Taylor gets to see that. And she's been retweeting. I get notifications when she retweets stuff and she's been retweeting like the positive reviews. And it's just nice to see that she is getting that nice pat on the back. I love to see it. And she owns this album, just like Lover. It's her second album that she owns herself and it is her best yet. Whether you like a different era more, whatever, but this album, just the way it's critically acclaimed is a today run. As of today is a home run. Everyone in the alternative music category at the next award season, they're shaking in their boots right now. (laughs) (laughs) And we should also talk about that this, all of her songs have been charting and she had zero promo. Yeah. She had like eight hours or like something insane. (laughs) It was like 18 hours total from the time she announced it from this came out. And all of, it was like the first 16 songs on the Spotify charts were her 16 songs. Can we please discuss how we started this podcast because we were sad that her concert was ending and within 10 episodes, within 10 episodes, within Mm -hmm. 10 episodes, we had a whole new album to discuss. What? What? I mean, you can't ask for anything better than that. You really, I mean, I would choose a new album over going to a concert in any day because that was 11 months after her last album. Like, oh my God. And this, I'm sorry to rant Allie. I'm sorry if you have any thoughts, but I just got to finish this thought. (laughs) This album is just like a warm blanket wrapping you up in this terrible pandemic where everything is shit and the news is terrible and I'm sad all the time. And this (laughs) album is just like, it's just like a warm blanket that just wraps you up and it puts you by the fire. And it's like, you know what? It's okay. Listen to these folklore songs and you're going to get through it, Cressy. (laughs) Taylor hugged us all with this album. And I want to say that our emergency episode that we recorded at 8 a.m. was our eighth episode. And it is TS8, people. You can't make our that minds. shit up. Our, our minds. <laughs> we knew it. We knew it was coming. Um, yeah, we had no clue. So thank you again for listening. Please leave us a review if you like this podcast. Subscribe, maybe. If you just want to take some time out of your day to do that right now, we would really appreciate it. We read them yes. all and we appreciate every bit of feedback we get. We are listening to you. So thank you so much. And thank you for all of your suggestions. Also, if you want to, please follow us on any of our social media. It's at GFA Weekend on both our Instagram and our Twitter. Our Facebook page is good for a weekend. We should be the only thing that pops up if you look us up on Facebook. Also, we have a Reddit which is r slash good for a weekend. And we really want to have discussions. We talked about a million different theories in this podcast. I will reply startlingly fast. Yes. And we have a Tumblr now, gfaweekend.tumblr.com. So we'd love if you followed us on there too. But for now, stream folklore. We are. We're not tired yes. of it. I if love it. If you bought it. it, stream it on Spotify still so she gets those sweet stream numbers. I bought it yes. and I have it in, in my library, but I'm still streaming it so she gets those spins. <laughs> yeah, we have so many downloads of this. Um, but yeah, but please still listen to Taylor on Spotify. We love to see her numbers just keep on going up. So yeah, thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week for another episode of Good for a Weekend. Maybe it'll be about Joe. Maybe Taylor will do something else and we'll have to just 
throw that in the trash. Yeah, who knows? All of our hard work. We watched so many Joe Alwyn movies for that episode. We watched his literal movies, like not YouTube videos. We watched his films to prepare for it. And then the next day, Taylor releases an album. (laughs) But we're happy. But anyway, so our next episode may be about that. Yeah. So thank you for listening. We'll see y'all next week.